You are listening to the Aging Starts Now podcast, where it's all about responding with confidence to the legal, financial, and personal challenges created by disability, unexpected illness, or simply aging in general. Join us weekly as elder law attorneys Tim Takis, Barbara McGinnis, Chris Johnson, and other members of the Takis McGinnis Elder Care Law Team talk about the tools, techniques, strategies, and services that will make the elder care journey easier for everyone involved. Get ready, because aging starts now. Hi, everyone. Welcome to episode number 77 of Aging Starts Now. I'm Barbara McGinnis, Certified Elder Law Attorney and Partner at Takis McGinnis Elder Care Law. Today, we're talking about healthy aging with Dr. James Powers. Dr. Powers is the author of over 75 papers, books, and book chapters. He has devoted his academic career to geriatric nutrition, education, and healthcare quality and safety. He has mentored over 1,200 trainees while at Vanderbilt and holds fellowship in the American College of Physicians, American College of Nutrition, American Geriatric Society, Gerontological Society of America, and the Royal Society of Medicine. Welcome, Dr. Powers. That's quite a list of uh, accomplishments, and we're so honored to have you. Well, Barbara, it's my pleasure to be with you today. What are some of the most prevalent health challenges for Tennessee's older population? In Tennessee, our older population has four big challenges. One is obesity. We are in the obesity belt, and that includes our older population as well. Tobacco use, physical inactivity, and yes, substance abuse does occur among the elderly as well. Those are our big four chronic public health issues among the elderly in Tennessee. Sounds like the same chronic problems that have just general adults. You are correct. Uh, And as we get older, um, some of these uh, habits, uh, these lifestyle choices start to weigh heavily on us and, and affect us adversely. So diseases of overnutrition, we'll talk about the obesity issue, uh, such as high blood pressure and diabetes, uh, heart failure, all start to accumulate as we uh, get older. The effects of chronic smoking, of course, started earlier in life, also accumulate so that we have a tendency for um, uh, pneumonia. So we have uh, problems with emphysema, uh, and that can also affect our heart as we get older. Lack of exercise is uh, very uh, critical as well. If we don't exercise, if we are sedentary, we are much more prone to lose our ability for self-care. So we see many older individuals who are less mobile uh, than they could be if they had exercised and retained muscle mass uh, throughout their lifespan. And yes, substance abuse, it's not a large number of older folks, but it becomes a problem because, uh, we'll just use opioids as an example, we're less able to metabolize many medications. So even the use of the same pain medicines uh, uh, decades uh, before as uh, a person gets older starts to accumulate. Your kidneys clear them less efficiently and uh, the effects of the medication such as the sedation, tendency to produce falls, all contribute to 
public health hazards in our older population. So yes, what we did when we were younger in Tennessee, we try to do as we get older, but those bad health habits uh, are not as easy uh, to overcome and their consequences are much more serious in the older population. So all that being said, what are some of your recommendations to stay healthy? Say your your top 10 list or something. <laughs> okay. I have seven that I'll uh, okay. do. And these are uh, my re- my health recommendations. And again, this is based on a knowledge of what people do. Uh, I'm a practicing physician. I see many people throughout the week and I hear the stories and just putting a public health perspective on what's good for a healthy, long life. First of all, maintain a healthy social network. That's so important to support yourself, particularly uh, as you get older. You need to be connected to others in the community. Um, You don't know what will happen. Sometimes you may need that neighbor uh, or you may be uh, uh, help to another neighbor uh, and uh, or you may have a caregiver um, who uh, uh, perhaps had been caring for you who's no longer able to do that. And so maintaining a healthy social network is just so important. It's also very good in terms of slowing down tendencies for dementia and overcoming depression and isolation. And boy, this past year with the pandemic, we know what social isolation does for older folks. So maintaining a social network is so very important. Number two, stimulate your brain. It's true, uh, you have to use it or lose it, but we have found uh, that when people stop um, uh, getting out uh, in public when they want to stay home and tend the roses, they retire, they reduce their activities, they actually deteriorate in terms of mental function especially, more prevalence of depression, And yes, um, if uh, there is a tendency for cognitive decline, various forms of dementia, it it gets worse uh, if you're isolated, if you're not using your brain. On the other hand, those who get out, who volunteer, who engage uh, in uh, social activities, um, who read, uh, who who talk to others, communicate with others, that's so important for maintaining uh, brain health. Number three, physical activity. We talked about that a little bit with the top four issues for Tennessee's elderly. Physical activity is probably the most important thing a person can do in order to maintain their self-care abilities. We have a little uh, saying uh, in uh, the geriatric field, what's the most important organ of the body? Most people will say the brain or the heart. Of course, those are important. But we say it's your legs because if you can get around, you're going to do okay. It's just a humorous way to say that being physically active is so important for maintaining muscle strength and uh, for your resilience, your ability to uh, take care of yourself uh, through uh, thick and thin. Well, you know, and I, I am not a very physical person, but I am trying to become more active as mm-hmm. um, has been as I've started getting older, taking up some new hobbies and things. But that certainly helps with the obesity, because if you're moving around, it's harder to eat, even <laughs> if you're not burning up a ton of calories, right? That's right. And, and, and we're not talking about being a marathon runner. Uh, 20 minutes of exercise a day, surely you can do that to maintain your health. 
That's well, all it is. It's not a lot, but it does require consistency and a choice, a lifestyle choice to get out and walk, uh, get out and do things. And you can combine that with social networking at the same time, whether it's a walking group or a bowling group or golf friends, um, dancing. You can combine yes. it with, with uh, you know, if you're not just an athlete by nature where you love to sweat and do those kind of things, there's ways you can make activity fun. You are okay. absolutely right. Sorry for interrupting, but go no, ahead. Number four. I think we're at number four. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm glad that those uh, were resonating uh, as I uh, described them. All right, number four, you've probably heard this from your mother. You are what you eat. That is so important in terms of not only the number of calories and obesity, but in terms of the nutrients that uh, you need. Um, a wise dietitian once told me, Choose colors. A colorful plate is bound to have all of the food groups in it. And you know she's right. Um, so you are what you eat. So reduce those empty calories, those sweets, so those fatty foods in limitation, of course, uh, they're all right, but not as a staple. Make sure that you get all the food groups in and watch for portion control. Excess calories, if you're not exercising, uh, gain, make you gain weight and contribute to health conditions that we've already discussed. The next is know your doctor or your provider. We're happy to include nurse practitioners, physicians, assistants, so that they will know you. In other words, we want to do what the individual wants. We call this person-centered care now. Uh, what are those goals of care? What's important to you? What do we need to work on? Uh, that's just so important. And as time goes on, sometimes we have to help you make decisions. Uh, do you need a knee uh, replacement? Um, is it right uh, to have certain therapies or screening? We have to know you and talk with you in order to determine the pros and cons of various approaches. So know your provider so that they will know you. Be honest. Next, reduce stress. Stress makes everything worse. And again, this year, past year, we've known that. Stress contributes to um, emotional instability, depression, uh, substance use disorder, uh, family discord. So try to reduce stress. Know what your trigger points are. Try to take some time off for yourself try to uh, engage uh, with with nature if that's uh, an interest or some hobbies, whatever it takes to reduce stress uh, because uh, that will improve your quality of life. Then, go ahead. What? I was just going to say, you know, sometimes people pick bad, unhealthy habits to help reduce their stress, you know, whether it's smoking. Some people say that reduces their stress or uh, alcohol consumption, mm -hmm. or just, just you know, that mindless eating where you sit down and eat a box of cookies or something because that makes you feel better. You've had a bad day, so why don't I eat a gallon of ice cream to make everything better? So those are some examples of unhealthy uh, coping strategies or stress reducers, healthy ways, uh, going to the yoga studio or... Um, whether it's maybe it's going to the Sunday school or all kinds of different things that you can do that are healthy 
it's going for that walk out in the sunshine with friends. It's going to help you get your mind off of something. That's maybe. Right. The, but, uh, so ben- pick, pick wisely. <laughs> <laughs> sure. Those are some of the benefits of the healthy social network. You are right. So reduce stress safely. Of course, don't contribute to your, to health hazards by some of those first uh, 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 not recommended strategies that you mentioned. And, and it's important, I think, because we are talking about older folks to talk about your life and estate planning. You know, one of the greatest gifts you can give to your family is to let them know how you'd like to be cared for when you perhaps won't be able to make those decisions. In other words, uh, deciding on future care to make it easier for your close ones, your loved ones who will have to make decisions for you so that they'll know that they're doing what you wanted. So life and estate planning is important. Once you retire, will you have enough to live on? Who will care for you uh, if you have an infirmity? Um, Is the house safe? Those are such important things to to think about. And they become very, very burdensome for family members if you've not contributed to uh, their understanding of what would be best, what what would you would want to have done. So those are important things too. And we try to stress that with our um, patients as we see them and families uh, that come in caring uh, and and concerned about uh, individuals, particularly as they uh, become less able to care for themselves. Oh, exactly. I can't tell you some of the most stressed children that come in here uh, and talk with us are trying to care for a parent that won't openly share information, give them ideas about how do they want to be taken care of, where do they want to be taken care of, how can they just help um, to take some burden off of, of them? Where so anyway, exactly I, right. Open I communication. Entirely with you, yes. Um, so so important there. One thing I would say is for older people not to assume that their children are going to be their primary caregiver. That's a conversation you need to have early on in the planning phase uh, of care so that you can be adequately prepared. That's right. And it's not an all or nothing either. For instance, uh, you may have children that live nearby, but rather taking on all of the caregiving duties, they can visit, they can take you places, but you may have a hired caregiver to provide some of the day-to-day care. So uh, it it can be a combined uh, type of support where the children feel that they're still contributing, yet uh, they can still take care of their own families, their own livelihood, uh, but still help mom and dad as well. Exactly, exactly. How is COVID impacting this, Dr. Powers? Uh, are some seniors, uh, I was really kind of surprised to hear that you you didn't include vaccinations in that top seven list of recommendations for staying healthy. Well, for a 2021 talk, I perhaps ought to add number eight there. That is true. Uh, but uh, being up to date on all of your immunizations is so important. Uh, flu vaccines, uh, uh, pneumonia prevention, uh, shingles, uh, and of course, COVID. You know, uh, one of the good things that I like to tell our listeners uh, is that about 75 to 80 percent of all seniors have been vaccinated. Now, early uh, when the pandemic started, we knew that they were the most vulnerable. 
Uh, and so uh, they got the message, their caregivers got the message. And so we've done a very good job in vaccinating our seniors. On the other hand, uh, for those who are currently uh, unvaccinated, it's predominantly younger individuals age 18 to 40 who are bearing the brunt of our current uh, Delta virus, very infectious variety of the COVID strain. And if they're not vaccinated, they are at risk for very serious illness. And that's what we're seeing uh, now. Unfortunately, uh, in uh, our local area, about 13 and a half percent of all of the COVID tests that are done are turned out turning out positive. That's a 13% positivity rate. It's above 10%. That's why there all is all this talk about mask uh, masking while you're indoors, uh, and um, and it's very very uh, difficult I think for everyone because we're worried we don't want to transmit uh, this uh, highly infectious uh, variety uh, to others, and uh, we just hope that other parts of the population, uh, the non-elderly, will strongly consider uh, the uh, opportunity to be vaccinated, not only for their own health, which is extremely important, but for the health of all of those around us. Absolutely. And that age range, that those are the ages of most of the caregivers. So yes. Um, in facilities now, that's what we're hearing is that even though most of the residents have been vaccinated, mm-hmm. an awful lot of the caregiving staff has not been vaccinated. So that's our vulnerability this year, our real weak point this year. That's right. And that indirectly impacts our uh, seniors who need help because we uh, are very short on caregivers. Absolutely. Always have been, and it's just worse now than ever. Yes. Uh, This year's terrible. All right. Let's end on an up note. What about tools that are available to give someone an idea of your life expectancy? Is there some place, some little life expectancy calculator I can find on the internet? Well, there are. And I'll say that, first of all, if you want to do the back of the envelope calculation, uh, how well you can care for yourself is a pretty good indicator that you're, of what your uh, future life expectancy is. If you are self-sufficient, if you can get around, uh, you're probably going to do all right. Your life expectancy is many, many years. As we become more infirm and depend on others, uh, sometimes from illness, uh, sometimes uh, just from age itself, uh, then we know that lifespan is limited. And indeed, um, there are some calculators, and I'll just recommend uh, for our listeners, the University of California at San Francisco, UCSF, has done a lot of the legwork, and they have a website called ePrognosis, E-Prognosis, and depending on where the individual resides, whether they're at home in a nursing facility, whether or not they're uh, in, um, in a hospital or in a hospice situation, uh, you can put in about a dozen of their characteristics. Have they lost weight? Are they incontinent? Um, uh, are they demented? All of these things are very important. And you can get a prediction um, of how likely they are to uh, survive past six months, past a year. You can, all of this is uh, from the literature, from different studies that have been done. It's not 
exact, uh, but uh, the range is not very bad. It's a 5 to 10% margin. And um, uh, it's a little scary, actually, to put your own information in, uh, but it may be so important for families who are trying to care for uh, relatives and trying to understand, you know, how much longer will this dementia go on? Uh, is, uh, you know, are resources going to last? Um, so that's a great help. It's called e-prognosis, and I'll recommend it highly. That's a cool little tool. So it's not necessarily like... I should go and do the test to see if I'm going to live to be 88 or 90. This is if someone is of advanced condition, perhaps, and we're trying to see if we've got months or years to live? That's correct. And it's also helpful in terms of deciding what's appropriate. For instance, if someone uh, is expected to only have a couple of more years with us, say an advanced dementia patient, is it worth putting them through surgery? Is it worth putting them through screening tests? Uh, And should we emphasize comfort care? That's where it's very helpful in terms of conversations. I use it a lot uh, when I talk with families. Um, You have to be very gentle, of course, and it's not exact. But you can say, look, you know, we're looking ahead now about a year to to two years. So how can we make the most of this for you? What would you like to do? And that's often actually quite a relief to families and to patients when you talk in those terms. I think families would, would... Really welcome having something like that because a, a lot of physicians are extremely reluctant to to give people those kind of parameters. Sure. Even if you probably have a good gut instinct or an educated guess and you've mm-hmm. been doing this sort of work for so long. But, um, yeah, people don't like to talk about that. No. But you know, one one thing uh, that we should tell people is that never before in human history have we had so many individuals living so long and so healthy. Do you know uh, that uh, by 2050, we are going to have over 1 million centenarians in the United States? Never before in human history have there been so many older folks. And that is a a really uh, a, a wonderful, wonderful achievement. It is a wonderful achievement, but it will be definitely a challenge and an opportunity for the infrastructure that's going to support those people, right, to develop along with them. (laughs) There's a business model there. There is. That's where I was headed. Well, thank you, Dr. Powers. That's it for today's episode. Thank you for listening. Take Us McGinnis is a life care planning law firm helping families respond to the legal and financial challenges caused by chronic illness or disability of an elderly loved one. Join us next week for another episode of Aging Starts Now. Thank you for listening to the Aging Starts Now podcast. For more information about today's show, visit tn-elderlaw.com, click on the free resources tab, and then click on Aging Starts Now. You'll find the show notes there. And while you're at it, why not check out all the free resources available at tn-elderlaw.com. Document downloads, the Take Us McGinnis blog, educational videos, informative articles, helpful links, a TV show, and more. It's all there, free for the taking. If you enjoy listening to the Aging Starts Now podcast, please subscribe, rate the show, or leave us a review. It's easy to do on whatever app you use to listen. We would love your feedback on the show. Aging starts now. 
We'll be back next week with more candid discussions about challenges created by aging, disability, and unexpected illness.